You probably already have your Bible open to Matthew chapter 12. We're going to finish up this chapter and we'll be in chapter 13 next week. And I'm very excited for where we're heading as we uh, open chapter 13. But this is a wonderful passage of scripture that we're going to be uh, breaking down this morning. We're at the end of the chapter. We're coming towards the end. Before we actually uh, get into the word, I want to just, uh, as, a, as a shepherd of this flock, one of the shepherds, you know, they're, all the elders of our church are shepherds. They're all shepherds. They're all pastors. Uh, biblically speaking, that's what they are. They're overseers, and that's what a pastor is. And so we're, we're blessed with some wonderful elders who shepherd this flock. But I, 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 I stand with them. We, we spent this past Wednesday night uh, just praying and listening to the different requests and the needs within the body, which I just got to tell you, I love that. I love that the whole meeting is shepherding. There's nothing spoken about any agenda items for, you know, for business or anything. Our elders don't deal in that. They're not administratively focused. They're people-focused. And so this morning, as a shepherd, uh, one of the shepherds of the flock, I want to begin by, with a burden in my heart for you. It's, it's a burden that goes, it's much broader than just this fellowship. It's, it really is for the whole body of Christ. It's for people that are right now in this life are struggling in many ways, um, emotionally, mentally, spiritually, um, physically with COVID and, and the fears that come with COVID. And, I, and then we see what's happening around us in our nation. And I just think it throws many Christians into... Uh, a confusing tailspin, and we lose our bearings. We're, we're untied from the mooring of God's Word, God's truth. And so I, I, it's just amazing to me each week how God's Word, as we just go verse by verse, how it addresses the issues that we're living in in, in our day. And uh, so let me just share with you for a moment about this. Uh, if we go back to the beginning of the Gospel of Matthew that we started studying quite a while ago, the purpose of Matthew's Gospel is to present Jesus as the King. He's writing it primarily to the Jews. That's why there's so many Old Testament prophetic or Old Testament uh, passages that are, that are referred to. He's writing it for the Jew. And Jesus is coming. He's Messiah. He is King. And, and so uh, he has a kingdom. And you and I who are believers are part of his kingdom. We're in his kingdom now. Not in the future. I mean, yeah, there's going to be a future physical kingdom. But I'm talking about a spiritual kingdom that affects your emotion. It affects your mental capacity. The Bible says that for those of us who are in the kingdom... The kingdom of God right now for us is righteousness, it's peace, and it's joy in the Holy Spirit. That's not a future. That, that's now, in this life that we're living. And Matthew's gospel just addresses these things so beautifully. People were looking at Jesus in his day. They were looking for their own interest. Uh, the crowds, they were looking for a physical healer, right? A demon deliverer a miracle worker. Uh, to those who saw him as Messiah, his disciples, 
those closest to him. He was their answer for the Roman occupation. He was going to set up a kingdom. He was going to rule. That's what they were looking for. That's what they thought Messiah would do. And he would lead the rebellion, and he would bring them victory, and he would establish this earthly, physical kingdom. The religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, uh, he was a threat to their power. They, they were the ones who saw themselves as the brokers of righteousness. But their righteousness didn't have much to do with the original Mosaic law, the moral law of God. Their righteousness was simply their own rules that they thought they could keep, whereby giving them the ability to be seen by others as the, the righteous group. This is the group that have it all together that we need to follow after. We need to hear what they have to say. And they really, what they had was a religious system. And it was a religious system that provided a good income for them and a good living and a way of holding power and control over people. Uh, on the back side, uh, you, you saw these religious people who were trying to control the environment under the Roman occupation. We'll do it our way, and then Jesus shows up, and he doesn't meet anybody's standard. He's not there just to provide signs and wonders for people. He's not there just to provide uh, this earthly kingdom. In fact, that's not what he came for this time. That's going to be in his second coming. What he's doing now is he's, he's trying to establish something much deeper, much better than some reform of society. That's not his prime, primary goal, is to reform society. His primary goal is to bring men and women into a regeneration of the heart. Has nothing to do with outward reform. Doesn't begin there. It starts in the heart. No man can reform himself. No one can save himself. Only the, only the Holy Spirit can regenerate our hearts through the work of Christ on the cross. That's why he came. That was it. To seek and save lost people. And yet they had all these other things that they were caught up in. And interestingly, what they wanted Jesus to do was fit their motif. If you'll just stay within what I think we ought to have happening in our world and help us do this, then yes, I'm your supporter. i, I got to tell you, that reminds me much of the landscape that we're living in today in America. And I'm watching many Christians who are really caught up in this. If I can just digress for a second and speak to our, our nation, speak to our Constitution. We're a constitutional republic. And that is a marvelous form of government, by the way. It was a system designed by our founding fathers who were good men working under the influence of divine intervention. You can't look at our founding documents and not see the principles of God's word all through them. Our Constitution alone has built, has, has built in safeguards to protect the people of this great nation uh, from, from the weaknesses of man. But the weakness of the Constitution is just that. If there is a weakness in our Constitution, it's that the only way for it to work is to be run or managed by those who are right in their hearts, those who are good in their hearts, 
those who have a healthy fear of God in their hearts. And when you put people who don't have those things in their heart, in power, then our Constitution is able to be jeopardized, it's able to be compromised, and we end up with something far different. The same thing's happening with the Jewish society in Jesus' day. You have men who created their own religious system, taking from the law just enough that they can create their own laws, their own rules of righteousness. You've got the people who are looking for a savior who's somehow going to deliver them from their physical ailments, who's going to deliver them from demonic possessions. They were looking to Jesus like a genie in the bottle. He's a genie in the bottle. Here's what we need. You have the power, the capacity to give it to us, so please give it to us. Not realizing that he wasn't interested in either of those things. He didn't come here to provide for us just liberty, you know, happiness and peace. Jesus comes to call us into his life. Not our life, his life. He said, if you're going to take my life, it's going to cost you something. To, to follow me, you have to deny yourself. That's what I love about our Constitution. In a constitutional republic, the leaders of our nation are simply representatives of us. The people are the centerpiece. They are paying attention to what the people need, to the needs of others. Jesus was looking at the very center of that in the hearts of men. The world says, let's give reform, let's get reform. And that's what Christians are up in arms about right now with what's happening in our nation because they saw President Trump bringing a lot of, he did bring a lot of tremendous policies. He brought some reforms that have needed to happen for a long time. And I'm, I'm absolutely behind those things. I stand with those, with you. But friends, I'm going to tell you something. Now you're up in arms because you think those reforms are in jeopardy. When did the reform ever become the centerpiece of Jesus' ministry? The centerpiece is what's happening in the hearts of men and women. God wants to reach the heart. If the church ever has a message, we have it now. The message of the church is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ with this world. Next week, we're going to see in other weeks coming, Jesus is going to talk about the seed, the, that the sower, the only role of the sower is just throw the seed. Get it out on the ground. It's going to fall on all different kinds of soils, all different kinds of hearts. Don't worry about the hearts. Don't try to just change the outside of a man. Go after the heart. Just throw the seed so that I can do my work and I can regenerate the hearts of men. Once a man's heart's regenerated, believe me, reforms is a secondary issue. We can talk all day long about how in the inner city, 75% of all children don't have a father image in the home, and that's true. But I'm telling you, do all the reforming you want to try and get the men back in their homes, set all the policies, set the edicts, do what you want to do. The bottom line is, until God grabs the hearts of men and brings them into the truth that they see what the role of a man is in this world, which, by the way, is under attack by the world. They don't want men to be men. They don't want women to be women. You be whatever you want, and whatever you are, you can do the other person too. A woman can do what a man can do, a man can do what a woman can do. No! 
not according to God's word. And when a man is regenerated by Christ and he understands who and what God's called him to do and be, believe me, the reform won't matter. He'll go back home. And he'll care for his children as he ought to. Why we get so up in arms and why we spend so much energy and so much time pushing for reforms when the word of God is right there in front of us. And we ought to be sharing the gospel every day and we ought to be calling people back to the truth of God's word. That's where the church ought to live and breathe. That's what I love about CareNet. That's what they're doing. They're reaching hearts. They're sharing the gospel. They're not just providing service to people. They're, they're sharing the good news. That's the greatest change that a young woman or a young man or a young couple could ever hope for, is to be regenerated by Jesus Christ. We haven't even gotten into the message yet. So Jesus came not with a physical, outer desire for reform. He didn't address the issues of slavery while he was on the earth, other than to say that the master should put Christ first, and if he does, then he'll care for his slave in the right way. And the slave should put Christ first, therefore he'll serve his master the way he should. He wasn't here to change society. He came to set men free, to liberate them in their hearts. Liberate them inside. Now in our study last week, we began to see the kickback to this earthly agenda that the scribes and Pharisees had. Naturally, they would be opposed to his plan to regenerate hearts. They were masters of creating systems of reform based upon the law of Moses. If Jesus reformed hearts, now people are no longer beholden to them. They lose power, and most of all, they lose money. They lose a living. They created external reforms that men could follow so that they were right with God. While Jesus taught and focused on internal transformation by the regeneration of the heart. So last week we saw the beginning of a rebellion against his authority as Israel failed to respond to his work among them. And this rebellion will lead to rejection and ultimately it will lead Jesus Christ to the cross, which is his ultimate fulfillment of the purpose for which he came. Now before Christ makes his way to Calvary, here in Matthew's Gospel, he addresses the religious leaders with a sobering warning not to reject him Please don't reject me and don't reject the message that I bring. They had just seen with their own eyes his miraculous powers and he had you know, healed a man who was uh, blind and dumb. He had healed someone else of a, who was demon-possessed. He healed a man who had a withered hand and literally the hand and the arm straightened out right in front of the people. The Pharisees saw it. They attacked him with that. All oh, you do this by demons... You're a demon, you're demon led. And Jesus addressed them on that and basically with logic just made them look silly. And now we have Jesus who is going to speak words to them about a very real possibility in their future. It's interesting how we can. We can say we don't, we're not sure about God. I don't know if I believe God. I don't know if I believe in Jesus. 
And Jesus says if a person takes that position, there's still hope. There's still hope. They can still believe. But if you reject the Holy Spirit, whose role, whose work is to bring to remembrance everything about Jesus, to point you to Jesus, to only speak what the Lord Jesus says, and you reject the one who's testifying to you internally about Jesus, that is the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. That is the unforgivable sin that you cannot be, be forgiven of. You see, it's one thing to reject Jesus himself. It's another thing to reject the one who comes in his name and who verifies him. In Holy Spirit's main ministry, if, I, if you want to write these down, you can. John chapter 15, verse 26. John 15, 26. But when the Helper comes, who will, who I will, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth, who proceeds from the Father, listen now, here's the work of the Holy Spirit. He will bear witness about me. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. One of the works is to bear witness about Jesus. John chapter 16, verse, start at verse 13 and 14. When the Spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth, all truth, all truth. There's no truth that you need that the Holy Spirit will not provide for you. For he will not speak on his own authority. Okay, now we understand something about the role of the Holy Spirit. It's interesting how we think we can do the role of everybody else. Everybody's all equal. Uh, that's not the way the Trinity works. The Holy Spirit can't do what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't do what the Holy Spirit does. Here it says, for he will not speak on his own authority. The Holy Spirit never speaks on his own authority. People who call out to the Holy Spirit wanting the Holy Spirit to do whatever it is they want him to do, he's not hearing them. He doesn't speak on his own authority. But whatever he speaks or he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you things that are to come. He will glorify me, Jesus said. For he will take what is mine and declare it to you. So the work of the Holy Spirit is to declare the works of Christ. Not his own works. Not the works of man. And then John chapter 14. We're kind of working backwards here a little bit. From 16 down to 14, verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance everything that I have said to you. So the work of the Spirit for the believer is to remind us what Jesus, what we know of Jesus in the Scripture. So that as we're witnessing, he gives us what we need when we need it to witness to others. He'll remind you of the teachings of Christ, of the truths of the Scripture, so that you can help other people come to know who Jesus is. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. That's not all of it. That's just a portion of his work. And the Pharisees were rejecting this. They were rejecting the work of the Holy Spirit, who was trying to be a witness to them that Jesus Christ is Messiah. To reject Jesus from a distance or with a little information is bad. To reject the testimony of the Holy Spirit about Jesus is fatal. When the testimony of Jesus is fully and finally rejected, one has truly blasphemed the Holy Spirit and essentially called him a liar in respect to his testimony. The religious leaders were getting very close to that point. So now we pick up at verse 33, where Jesus said, either make the tree good and its fruit good, or make the tree bad and its fruit bad. For the tree is known by its fruits. 
Because of their condemnation, Jesus now calls out and says, look, what's happening is you are bad fruit. And the reason you're bad fruit is because your root is bad. The whole tree is bad. You need complete makeover. Not just, not just grafting in something that you like, but literally becoming found in Christ. You brood of vipers, he says in verse 34. Oh my goodness. When he said to them, you brood of vipers, that's essentially call of the, calling these religious leaders sons of Satan. Jesus spoke that to them. What happened to that mild, meek-mannered, social justice Jesus that everybody seems to like these days? Where he just always just wants to bring peace. He just loves you no matter who you are, no matter what you've done. And just, it's okay. You know, he's just such a warm, fuzzy kind of guy. He just grace and mercy and kindness all the time. Hey, if you want to play hardball with Jesus, he'll be glad to throw up a curve to you. His fastball you can't hit. And here he comes right at him with it. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good, and the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, and by your words you will be condemned. And then some of the scribes and Pharisees answered him, saying, Teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Now that's really hilarious, but before we get to it, uh, you, Jesus is just laying it out there. You are, your words mean something. And the fact that you're rejecting me with your words, that's going to come back on you one day. At judgment, those words will be remembered and held against you. Your words will speak against you. And then they come out with more. They just saw him heal a withered hand, and they saw him cast out a demon. They saw him work with the blind and the deaf. I mean, Jesus is, they, they saw it. And yet they come right back and they say, teacher, we wish to see a sign from you. Now, first of all, do you really think they thought that he was their teacher? No way. They're mocking him. And we want a sign from you. He just gave you signs. So after Jesus performed all these signs, teacher, please perform a sign. But he answered them, an evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. He cuts right to the chase. You say you want a sign, you don't want a sign. You want me to do something so that you can further implicate me as being from the devil. But I'm not going to entertain you in that. I'm just going to go ahead and cut to the chase. You want signs, and signs are going to be your downfall. It's going to be a sign that takes you out, the witness of something that happened prior. Now, this is very interesting here. Jesus said, For just as Jonah, verse 40, was three days and three nights in the belly of the great fish, so will the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. The men of Nineveh, remember the men of Nineveh? Who was Jonah called by God to go and preach to, to bring revival? The pagan Ninevites. He hated the Ninevites. He wanted no part with them, so he ran from God. We all know what happened. A great fish swallowed him, kept him inside for three days and three nights, spit him out on the shore, and Jonah went and got on with God's work, and he 
preached revival and repentance to the Ninevites, and they repented and were saved. And when he saw them get saved, he was angry. Why would you save these worthless heathens? And he complained and grumbled about it. But what's interesting here, keeping it in context of our story, here Jesus affirms three biblical facts. Three biblical facts. These are often denied by those who refer to themselves as Bible critics. Biblically, a Bible critic presumes to have the authority to tell you what parts of the Bible you can believe and what parts you shouldn't believe. Which parts are genuine, which parts are bogus or full of, full of error. Which parts are inspired, which parts are uninspired. Which is truth and which is a myth. The first biblical fact that Jesus affirms in this teaching to the Pharisees is his own death on the cross and three days in the tomb. And he does it through the story of Jonah. This is one of the stories in the Bible that has received the most criticism by scholars, by those who have a high criticism of Scripture. I would say this to the critic. Maybe you're a critic today. Maybe you're here, you're visiting with somebody, they wanted you to go to church, and you thought, okay, I'll do that, I'll play along and have a little fun with whatever this guy's going to preach. Here's what I would say to you as a critic, if you don't believe in the story of Jonah and the whale. Okay? Uh, you really don't have a problem with the story of Jonah being swallowed by a great fish. You really have a problem with Jesus Christ, the Son of God, saying that Jonah was swallowed by a great fish. If you want to go to the root of anyone who's a critic of the Bible... You have to understand what they're really after is getting a concept of God that fits their own life. It really isn't about the scripture that they have an issue. At the deepest level, it's they want another concept of God than the one that scripture shows. And Jesus addresses this with these guys. He's the one that's talking about Jonah and the whale. So those of you who thought, well, maybe that happened, maybe it didn't. Maybe that's just one of those stories, you know, it's like a child's fairy tale and God put it in there because it really sounds cool about God. But God didn't really do that. That's not even possible. It is possible. In fact, back in the 1800s, they discovered a man who was completely bleached out and he was in the, in the stomach of a whale for a period of time. And, and lived, was spit out. It's historically documented. So, so just the fact that it can happen, it's already been proven. But the fact that God, look, if you, if you don't have a problem with God, and you believe God can do whatever God chooses to do, then the story could have been that a minnow swallowed J Jonah, <laughs> and three days later, God spit him out, or the minnow spit him out. And you'd believe it, because you don't have a problem with God. The only way you have a problem with God is if it, that God doesn't fit who you are and what you want God to be. That's the real issue with people who go against Scripture. There are many who reject God's revelation of himself because they prefer their own concepts of God. They really just want to worship themselves because when you create your own God, he'll always be a reflection of you. I want to talk to you for a moment about what's happening in you 
in light of our nation's condition. Because quite honestly, nobody, no, no one in the room is going to change America. We're not. America's heading on a course that God knows about. In fact, all things work together for good. For who's good? God's good first and foremost. And for when? For eternity. And God already knows what happens. First of all, He's with you right now. If you are, if you are saved, He's in you. You are his child. He will see you through whatever comes. But secondly, God already knows, listen, your future. He knows everything about your future. And by the way, before the foundation of the world, he had his plan already in place, and he saw all of it at the same time. And you were part of it. So when you live on this earth, you're simply fulfilling part of God's plan. And he has created you to fulfill your part of his plan, not your part of your plan. That's who our God is. And, and so right now, I want to talk to you about you. Is it possible that you've gotten caught up in somebody else's plan? And you're spending more time and energy looking at things that God's not really worried about. You do know God's not worried about what's happened in our nation with the election. He's not. God's not in heaven right now sitting on his throne going, oh my goodness, I didn't see that coming. What do we do about it? What, what did that guy pray? I, I need to hear his prayer because he has it all together. I need some answers here. God's totally in control all the time of everything the question is where are you where are you it's interesting jesus said my yoke is easy my burden is light matthew eleven thirty. 30 what was his burden to do the will of his father jesus said if you'll be about the will of the father that's, you're giving me your burden, because uh, that's my burden. It's not your burden, it's my burden. I'm asking you to walk with me in this burden, to do the will of the Father. But we don't. We have our own burden. Well, what's your burden? You. Your burden is your will. It's what I want. And Jesus said, if you're heavy laden, it's because you're trying to do what you want. Cast your cares upon me for I care for you. Be about my will, not your will. Listen, no matter what the climate is in America, whether we're, having the, we're in the zenith of, of our days or whether we're, we're in a tailspin, look, as a believer inside of you, God lives. And he wants to help you each and every day to face whatever comes. It's interesting here. David observed in the Old Testament how men made gods or idols after themselves. He said they've taken little pieces of wood and they've carved them out. And of course, you've all seen pictures of gods that have been created by these pagans, these grotesque little creatures. When I was in India, I saw all kinds of weird gods and idols, man. You know, you walk into any business and you got the head of an elephant and the body of a man. And that's supposed to be the god that provides uh, success in business. The little, little, little figurine sitting behind the, 
the register there. In every single business, you got the head of, a, of an elephant and the body of a man. And they really believe it, that they're going to have success before. Uh, we've got people in our country. We were renting a home when we first moved to Vero for the first year. Not ready to, we thought we were getting a home, having one con, uh, built, and it ended up being a mess. The contractor stole the money and whatever. So, so we ended up living in a, in a, a rental for one year. And uh, uh, the lady we were renting from, she's a good Catholic woman, and she came to us because she wanted us to buy the home. We said, we're not really interested in buying the home. We're going we're to move to another home. And she goes, well, then would it bother you if I buried Saint whoever in the front yard? I said, what? And I forget which saint, one of the saints, a little figurine, she buried it in the front yard. So that, so that her house would sell. And we, we can laugh at, isn't it interesting how easy it is for us to laugh at other people? You have your own hang-ups. I've got my own, believe me. I'll show you a silly one. Now, not necessarily right now, but how many times in the past have you looked forward to that football game on Sunday or on Saturday, and then something happens and you can't go to it, you walk around pouting and everything. You can't handle life because you can't watch your football game. How silly is that? We've all got issues. We're all messed up. But David saw this, and he thought they make them out of, they'll mold them, they'll, they'll carve them. They'll make them out of wood, they'll make them out of gold or other metals. These little gods. And they set them up, and then they put the candles around the god, and then they put incense around, they light the incense, and now they got this fragrance going on. And then they bow down before their little god. They start praying to this, this little god. It's crazy. David observed the gods that they made, and he said, eyes they have, but they can't see. Ears they have, but they can't hear. Feet they have, but they can't walk. Mouth they can't speak. What David observed is, the, is that man only makes a God like himself. Why do you put eyes in your God? Because you have eyes. Why do you put ears on a God? Because you have ears. But here's a sad thing. The God that you just made after yourself isn't even equal to you. He's not even equal to you, much less holding God's status. He can't even do what you can do. And here you are worshiping him. Just a piece of metal. Or a president of the United States. He can't do what you can do. And yet we just lose our lives in external things. And when you lose your life in external things, we can learn from David a further observation. When you make things that, that are little gods that you make, you always make them, and they're not even able to be as smart as you to carry the nature that God's given you. If you make a dumb little god... You become dumb. That's kind of sad. 
that you're better than that God, but God can't do what you can do, but you become only as good as the God that you've made or the God that you're following. If your God is heartless and insensitive, you become like your God. You soon become callous and insensitive to the voice of God. You no longer hear the voice of God. You no longer see the work of God. You no longer sense the presence of God. You become callous because you've been worshiping a callous God. It's a horrible curse when a man becomes like the God that he's made. And it's a tremendous blessing when a man becomes like the God who created him. 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Why? Because man becomes like his God. Who are you like? 2 Corinthians 3.18, And we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed, look at that, not external, internal, into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For the, this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, another work of the Spirit to conform you into the image of Jesus Christ. Please don't misunderstand. I'm not saying you become God. I'm saying you reflect the image of your God, the traits of your God, the character of your God, the nature of your God. You begin to reflect who he is. When people look at you as you are following after your God, the one true God, then all of a sudden people see God through you. They don't, they don't see you. It's not you. It's just that you're reflecting his glory. It's like a mirror. You're a mirror. And they look at you and they see a mirror. And what, they, what it reflects is God. So in our text, Jesus affirms the authenticity of the story of Jonah as a historic fact. If you have the right concept of God, you'll have no problems. If you have the wrong concept of God, your problems are just getting started. And then just the last two, and I'll be real quick with these. I'll just give them to you so you have them. I feel like the Lord's given us enough today to think about. I could go a lot further, but I don't feel like we should. I think the scripture that's before us will cover next week. The second thing Jesus affirms is his resurrection. After three days and three nights. This is another thing that has been the target of higher critical thinking. The denial of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And yet, listen, Jesus just affirmed it. This is not a man's idea. This is not a concept that some scholar came up with. Jesus himself spoke of the resurrection. His resurrection. And then the third thing he affirms is the final resurrection and judgment of man. There will be a final resurrection. All will be raised, and then there's going to be a judgment in the end. Verse 41 of our text, the men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation. They're going to rise up with you, Pharisees, they're going to rise up. There will be a general resurrection from the dead that Daniel talks about in Daniel 12 too. He said this, And many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. In Revelation, John puts a very graphic picture together for us. 
He says in Revelation 20, verse 11 through 13, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it, from his presence earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne. The books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each of them, according to what he had done. So Jesus' death, his resurrection, and the day of judgment, he affirms all of it right in the presence of the Pharisees. They were already trying to trap him with being deity, saying that he was deity, and he just confirmed it for them. He tells them that the men of Nineveh will rise and condemn this generation because they repented at the preaching of Jonah. Then he goes a step further, verse 42. The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. Something greater than Jonah is here. I'm here in front of you, in your presence and those before you are going to rise up and speak against you. There's absolutely no excuse for the rejecting of Jesus Christ. He is God's provision for your sin. He is the only way for you to escape the wrath of God in the end. And He comes to bring regeneration to all who will believe. If you're here this morning and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, that means that you are simply living your life empty on the inside. And there's no way for you to change except for outside of you, and that's reform. And that'll never be enough. The only way that you can have life eternal, the only way that you can fully enjoy this life and experience all that God wants for you is if you receive Jesus Christ as your personal Savior. But, savior, but to do that... You have to believe that he's the son of God and you have to see that you are nothing but a sinner and that Jesus, if you'll repent, can save you from your sin. And if you will do that, in the twinkling, quicker than the twinkling, you'll be saved. It's not by some work of man. It's not me asking you to come forward or raise a hand or pray a prayer. It's you simply coming into the knowledge of who Jesus is and by faith believing you're saved. That's how you're saved. Verse 43, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through the waterless places seeking rest but finds none. He's talking about demons and those who have been possessed by a demon. And when that demon leaves the man's body, then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept and put in order. So, okay, so you've been delivered of a demon, but you didn't put anything in the house in its place. You never turned your life over to God. You never filled your heart with Christ and with the truths of his word. And so now what happens, the demon says, I'll go back where I came from. And he comes back and look what it says. And then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself. And they enter and dwell there. And the last state of the person is worse than the first. So also it will be with this evil generation. This isn't a teaching solely about the principles of de demonic possession as much as Jesus is explaining seriousness of rejecting him as completely as the relig religious leaders had. 
Just looking clean on the outside doesn't get it done. You have to change inside. And you can't. Only Christ can. Verse 46, while he was still speaking to the people, behold, his father and mother and his brothers stood out. His father, I'm sorry, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak with him. Why? Why would they be there outside the door asking to speak with him? I'll tell you why. Because they're watching this heated argument and they just heard him say, you brood of vipers. He was speaking to the Pharisees who had, they respected. Oh, get him out of there now before he does something. You'll have to pay for that. Let's get him out of there. Hey, Jesus, your mother and your brothers are outside. They want to speak to you. But he replied to the man who told him, who is my mother and who, is my, who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, his followers, here are my mother and brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven, that is my brother, my sister, my mother. For those who place a dependency on the intercession of Mary, this scripture gives you a lot of problems. They said to Jesus, hey, your mother's outside. She wants to talk to you. But you don't see Jesus responding. Oh, Mary, mother of God, blessed art thou among women. Blessed is the fruit of thy womb. None of that. None of that. He does not give Mary heavenly status here. Jesus said, whatever you ask the Father in my name, I will do it. He didn't say, whatever you ask Mary, I'll give special consideration because every son gives special consideration to what his mom says. Or if, if you're praying, don't pray to me, pray to her because she knows how to come to me and she'll filter out everything and she'll come and tell me what I need to do for you. False teaching. Heretical. It's not in the Bible. Here Jesus is saying there's something much more important than worshiping a person. It's worshiping God. Do the will of the Father, not the will of the Mother. Not the will of the Father on, your, on earth. Some of us, are we live for what our parents think. Well, you've got your own life to live. They live theirs, you've got yours. It's good to respect your parents, honor them. But you look to the Father in heaven for how you should live your life. What do you know? We made it through the whole text. It's true that those who have a bond in Christ who are related to Jesus have a closer relationship with him than they ever would with their earthly family. If you're truly in Christ, then you know what it is to be closer to your earthly, heavenly family than to be part of your earthly family. Amen? Amen. And on that note, we're going to close. <laughs> I love when the, children, when the babies amen me. That's awesome. That's awesome. I want you to pray about how you might respond to the Lord Jesus Christ as if he were talking with you today rather than the Pharisees. Is it possible that you've allowed other idols, other gods to come inside of you? And now you're just beginning to realize I'm not going to ever be any better than the God that I've made.
that's not good enough. God made me after his image. He has a plan for my life. And I'm going to pursue it. I'm going to let him have all of me. Father, we just pray that this morning you would help us as a church to not only avoid the trappings of this world, the trappings of the religion of politics, but, oh God, may you call us unto your work, your ministry. May the church become everything that you want it to be to be your hands, your eyes, your feet, and to share the gospel. To go to people and to communicate who Jesus is, who man is in his own condition, and to call men and women to salvation. Lord, give us your focus in our lives. May we get off the train of what everybody else is smoking and may we just begin to pursue what you have for us in our lifetime. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, every week we have elders and altar ministers who are here to pray with you about any matter at all. This is how the elders gather information to know how to pray for our body. So if you have a request, believe me when I say to you, the highest role of an elder is to smell like sheep, to care for people. You can't do it if you're not talking to them. So please share your heart with them so that we can agree with you as you lift your, your burden to God. We're not the answer. We're not the mediator. We're just coming alongside you for support. Okay? God bless each of you. Make sure you fellowship with one another before you leave. And let me just say this. We have a screen outside. I noticed nobody sat out there today. I don't know why. It's a beautiful day. Um, we put a screen out here, a 75-inch TV. And I'm saying this for the live stream audience as well, if they're still listening. Um, but we, from week to week, some of, we have some of the body who are very weak physically. And for them to come out into a room like this, it's very dangerous for them. And we understand that. We want to show the utmost sensitivity, so we created this outdoor setting under the cover that people can sit outside and, and watch the service as well. So get the word out. Those of you, if you know of folks who aren't coming right now because of COVID concerns, they still might not come, and that's okay. But maybe that would help them, okay? That's why we've done it. Anything we can do as elders and as a staff to bring the body together, uh, even if we're, there's a glass wall between us, but still, we're, we're, we're here, okay? God bless you. Have a wonderful day.